What's up, Pelicans fans? Welcome back, and thank you guys for joining us on another episode of the Pelican Debrief Podcast. Now, for those of you who may be joining us for the very first time, my name is Preston Ellis, and I am so excited that you guys are here. Last week, we've had some fantastic interviews with Saints Nation's Andrew Juge, Space City Scoops' Kelly Ego, Nug Love's Matthew Huff, as well as Sacramento Kings expert Rafi Wong. And because of them and your support, our listenership is really on the rise. So thank you guys so much. And a very special shout out to uh, sort of our boss here, Phil Watson, for the Twitter love today. Appreciate it. Now, coming up today, we have got a great pregame interview with Chicago Bulls expert Daniel Coughlin of PippinAintEasy.com. Now, Daniel is going to break down the upcoming game as well as discuss the, the similarities between our two franchises. And I've got to tell you guys, it might be our best interview yet. Daniel is really fantastic on this podcast. But things get even better as we at Pelican Debrief host even another fantastic guest. We've got... Pelican Debrief's own editor and commander-in-chief, Rick Stone, will be on the podcast today as well, breaking down the game. There's so much here, I might even just break this into our first two-part podcast, but really going in-depth on this Bulls matchup. But before we get to that, let's take care of some technicalities first. Now, as you know, you are listening to the Pelican Debrief podcast of PelicanDebrief.com, but... What you may not know is that Pelican Debrief is part of the grander Fansided Sports Network. Fansided also supports Pippin Ain't Easy, the site dedicated to the Chicago Bulls, which is uh, why we're interviewing uh, Daniel today. Now, you can follow us on Twitter at Preston Ellis and at Pelican Debrief. You can go to PelicanDebrief.com to read some of our stuff. And uh, yeah, for now, let's just cut the chit-chat and explore our Sunday afternoon matchup with the Bulls of Chicago. You guys... It's time to speak with the enemy. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen. This is Daniel Coughlin. Now, for those of you who don't know, Daniel is a man of many talents. You can find him at PippinAintEasy.com, where he serves as editor and site expert to a fan site dedicated to all things Bulls, and that's why we've got him on today. However, that doesn't even begin to stop there for this Renaissance man. Daniel, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of these, is the managing editor for CultureCurrency.com, a site dedicated to the experience of life in writing, photography, and the arts. I gave uh, one of his latest blogs a read before this, and he's going in on an upcoming group called Rashomon. Did I get that right, Daniel? Yeah, you got it. And if you didn't think Daniel was busy enough, he serves as a staff writer at The Hive, SB Nation service to the Charlotte Hornets, and the Lottery Mafia, Sports Daily's upkeep on all upcoming potential NBA lottery picks. And during the day, he serves as a marketing coordinator. Excuse me. Daniel, how do you have time to do all of this? Coffee. Coffee. <laughs> Lots of coffee. You guys, what a great response. Uh, follow him at X Van Wilder X. Daniel, how are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for the uh, very eloquent and kind introduction. <laughs> oh my gosh, of course. I'm so thrilled as, a, as I was reading up on you, trying to get to know you a bit better before we have this 40-minute uh, first date. I, 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 I was just astonished. I thought he must not have just updated this in a few months or potentially even years. There's no way any one human could be an editor for two different sites on top of a full-time job. Really impressed. Well... Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All You're right. Not, I think 
you know uh, you know yourself from running this podcast you know it's uh basketball especially dealing with the pelicans much like the bulls uh when you're in when you're in on a team like this you're clearly doing it because you enjoy it and uh not because of the success of the team maybe yeah, yeah, that couldn't ring truer for a team like uh, New Orleans and Chicago lately as well. Although, uh, uh, w- without divulging your age, uh, what around part of your life were you at during the 1990 Michael Jordan era? Definitely old enough to remember watching it on WGN. Okay, cool. Same here. We had WGN in New Orleans, uh, coincidentally, and that's how uh, a bunch of us uh, grew up on the NBA uh, circuit before we had the Pelicans. We didn't get the Pelicans until 2005, and they were the Hornets at that point. It's It's been a sad and sorry existence, but let's get rolling here, Daniel. Uh, truly a marvel, but we're here to talk about the Bulls and the Pelicans. We're recording this on a Thursday. The Bulls are taking on the Chicago Cavaliers, I think, in about 10 minutes And uh, this story has been picking up some steam. Uh, It's not because the Bulls are shockingly 3-0 against the Cavs this year, but because, and let me get this straight, according to Hunter Cuffle and your site, Pippin' Ain't Easy, you guys have won 19 straight TNT Thursday night matchups? Yeah, when they're the home team, uh, they pull off ridiculous wins, and Yes, the Bulls um, were considerably better, uh, you know, as Gar Foreman, the general manager, would probably love to point out, regular season champs. Uh, unfortunately, they don't hang banners for that. Um, but there are some, you know, some dark times here for the Bulls as well. And even despite, uh, you know, slumping and not being the same franchise, they keep beating good teams. I think like this year, um, I if I remember correctly, I know for sure they've beaten the Spurs and the Heat. I think they might have even had one of these other Cavaliers matchups. Might have been one of the Thursday TNT home games also. So even this year in a in what's been a very down year for them, they keep beating the best teams. I was actually going to ask you about this a little bit later as we get to your uh, schedule. You've got a difficult schedule coming up, three games in four nights. But in the past week... You guys had big wins against the Pistons, who are competing for a playoff spot. You had a big win against the Bucks, who I think are something like 11-3 and in March. They've been playing really well since Middleton's been back. And then you guys inexplicably lost by 10 to the 76ers. Is that a bit about what you're talking about? Uh, yeah, that 76ers game, that was not even that close. That game was an absolute blowout. The Bulls got absolutely manhandled. And also, uh, you mentioned that Bucks win, and they've been on a streak. And not only that, but since the Bucks got just whooped by the Bulls, uh, their two games after that, they beat the Hornets pretty handily, and then they just took down Boston in Boston. So something about the Bulls, I don't know what it is, but, yeah, they, they get these really improbable wins that they probably shouldn't <laughs> – have. Wow, that is truly frustrating to see those big wins and uh, even bigger losses. During our playoff run two years ago, uh, our only uh, claim to fame in the AD uh, uh, series since we've had them, we had something similar where we were beating the good teams without Anthony Davis and then falling to uh, the lower tier teams. But let's let's hit on some breaking news. Um, I wanted to talk some Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer because he's really been busting my balls lately. Just six days ago, he wrote 
quote, players like Anthony Davis don't stay with teams like New Orleans. This was a big headline. I saw it on Bleacher Report. Now, this guy already bugs me to hell and back. I was a dedicated listener to his NBA podcast, and I understand that young writers, you know, need splashy titles to get into the national limelight. We're all guilty of it. But just five days later, he hits the front page with your man, according to a, quote, front office source, unquote, Jimmy Butler is as good as gone. What are you hearing about this? We've been hearing trades, uh, circulating rumors about Jimmy Butler for two years now. Is is this official? Is this gone? Or is this just part of a day in the life of being a Bulls and a Jimmy Butler fan? Um, both. <laughs> I, no, I don't. I honestly don't put a lot of stock in it. I don't think um, I'm a big proponent, actually, of the Bulls kind of like tearing it down. Um, I've talked about this with um, uh, the guys over at Fast Break Breakfast, and I've engaged many a Twitter egg in discussion over it. But I'm kind of a guy who thinks that, you know, Jimmy Butler's fantastic, but he's probably, you know, if you look at where he's at in his career arc, he does keep getting better every year. But at some point, he has to top out, and he's probably close to maximizing his potential, even if he has a couple of years of that high level of play left. And the the Bulls, the rest of their roster is completely a mess. Now, part of that's because I don't, over the course of the last two seasons now, I don't have a great deal of confidence or faith in the work of um, Fred Hoiberg, but I don't know that you know, it's fair to, to scapegoat him when you look at, you know, the front office. And I think there's some major problems there. So, you know, I, I think there are a bunch of problems with the Bulls and, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to justify keeping Butler if the rest of the team is just a total mess and you have this unique opportunity with a loaded draft coming up where you might be able to make a move for him. So if there ever was a time to trade him, you know, I thought it would happen maybe at the deadline if they were going to do it, but you know, they still have time before the draft to still pull something off. But I would think that a lot of those rumors would maybe be coming more from say GMs. If there are GMs out there saying that kind of stuff or front office people saying that kind of stuff, I think it's maybe coming from the front offices that would like to have Jimmy Butler <laughs> more so than, than maybe an internal thing. Um, I just don't see, I don't see the bulls, you know, floating a whole bunch of information like that, but I mean, I could be wrong. So uh, it, it is a good question and it's one worth discussing, but yeah, as of right now, I mean, until he's gone, I, even if it's likely, I wouldn't believe that a player of his caliber could be traded until it actually, you know, happens. Yeah. At least until the lottery balls are resolved uh, so much. Um, unexplained going into the offseason with Gar Foreman as your general manager. We'll talk about that more in a minute, but let's let's get a little bit closer to the game. In a discussion on your page this week, just to give uh, our readers an idea of what they can expect against the Chicago Bulls, you responded to this question, what even are the Bulls, by saying, quote, the Chicago Bulls are the living embodiment of Dante's purgatorio in the, I'm not even going to try to pronounce this, the divine comedy, I'm assuming, more specifically the anti-purgatory, as Wikipedia states, containing the excommunicated from the church and the late repentant who died often violently before receiving rights. Daniel, will you please simplify this for dum-dums like me? Oh, I did. I uh, I did write that, didn't I? Um, <laughs> sure did. I found it. It's in print. 
Okay. Well, yeah. Um, the Bulls. I mean, that's but that is the truth of the matter. Is they they are neither the the team that sinks to the bottom to the torturous, you know, nine and you know nine and seventy three record for a season and locks up that first pick or you know likely first pick in the draft and you know gets that you know that cornerstone player for the future to build around to create excitement. But they're also they're also like I mentioned a little bit earlier there that they're kind of almost wasting Jimmy Butler's prime because even if you get a good young player that still isn't enough and we haven't seen anything to make you think that this front office can bring in anybody that's going to make an impact I mean they they completely ate up all of their salary cap to bring in Rajon Rondo Rajon Rondo and uh, Dwayne Wade yeah. And I mean, they, they've given tons of money. And so like they, they invest their entire cap room to make sure that they stay a team that's going to play about 500 basketball. But then they go out there and they do things like, you know, they've beaten the Cavaliers three times already this year. And, you know, you mentioned the Bucks. you know, the Bucks are streaking right now. They're very good. And they got, they got blown out by the Bulls this week. So you look at these things and you're, so you're seeing a team on their, on the floor that's putting out a, a very poor product, but then they get in these big, you know, attention games and you can see people who, who might not think that this situation is that bad or not want to really see it for what it is. And they say, Oh, well they, you know, they beat the, you know, they beat the Raptors 11 games in a row, right. From 2013 to now. And it's like, but the Raptors are like, you know, a top four seed. So if we got them in the playoffs, we could beat them. And it's hard to fight someone who's bought into that kind of logic, like in terms of explaining to them, you know, that playoff basketball is different from regular season basketball. And it seems like the the Bulls ownership kind of wants to subject the fan base to to this. Well, as long as we're turning a profit, we're not going to make any serious moves or changes and we're going to continue to have a big win here and a big win there while the rest of the year you're just going to get kind of miserable disorganized basketball that is really frustrating and doesn't lead to that high draft pick and doesn't lead to contention you know just kind of stuck in limbo there that purgatory if you will yeah it sounds like you're getting what you're paying for flashes of brilliance with a uh, I guess a season ending in mediocrity year after year, but New Orleans Pelicans fans know all about uh, wasting a superstar during his prime. And uh, as we now stand at 32 and 43, we've got an emotional home game for Boogie against uh, Sacramento. He had a fun interview. Uh, again, we're recording this on Thursday night where he just responded to every question at the presser with, uh, it's a big game and we're excited and we're going to try to get a win no matter what the question was. So I got to check a lot of the reporters there. We're now four games back clinging to our lives. Um, I think there's seven games remaining on the season. We have to win this game against the Bulls, and the Bulls are on a fight of their own. I think you're a game and a half back of the Heat and Pacers as we now sit, and you guys are coming off, like we said, that that three-game and four-day stretch. You're going to be playing Cleveland tonight on Thursday, Atlanta on Saturday night on this bizarre, like, 5 o'clock afternoon game. I've never heard of these Saturday afternoon games. Before traveling to New Orleans, I'm assuming that night, for a 6 p.m. game the next day. Daniel, how much does this schedule suck, especially at this point in the season? Um, 
you know, really for the Bulls, not much. It's going to be, you know, you're, you're pointing out very correctly that, you know, they've got a couple of tough games coming up here, but they do really weird things. Like they win the second, you know, second game of a back-to-back on the road that, you know, against a much better team. They've done already this year. Um, they're 3-0 and against Cleveland. So maybe this, maybe they lose, or maybe they keep doing this improbable winning. But regardless of what happens in this next stretch, um, as you pointed out, there's kind of a, what I would refer to as a morass of teams right around that eighth spot. And the Bulls by far have the easiest schedule at the end of the year of any of those teams. They have, I believe, the Nets twice. I know they still play the 76ers. I've got it right here. We've got the Knicks, the Magic, the 76ers, and like you said, two Nets games. Yeah. So, you know, theoretically, um, even if they have a rough and tumble and the streak on TNT ends tonight, as, as you mentioned, recording this on Thursday, um, even if the streak against, you know, Cleveland ends, and even if they have a rough game against Atlanta, who's been on a real downturn of their own recently, you know, without Paul Millsap, um, you know, even if that happens, I, I still feel like this team just has enough in them, enough fight that they'll do the thing that nobody on our staff <laughs> wants them to do. <laughs> which is make the playoffs. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I read a, a couple of. Um, I guess it was a draft blog you guys were writing about sitting at fourteen and uh, trying to think of you. You all uh, kind of agreed on the guy that you were going to go for. I think his name was Miles Bridges. Is that right? Oh yeah, Miles Bridges. Yeah, that was the thing. Um, he makes sense if he's available at that spot. I know some of the different draft sites that kind of specialize in that kind of put him there. And that would be kind of optimal at that position. But, um, you know, part of the joke that kind of circulated our Slack chat was, wouldn't it just be the Bulls to do something insane, like take Grayson Allen way too early or, you know, draft Nigel Hayes or something like that? Well, who's to say? Because we don't know if Gar Foreman will will be there. Have you heard any whispers? I was going to get to this a little bit later, but we're already here. Gar Foreman, in or out, in your opinion? In my opinion, uh, yeah. no chance he's gone. And that wow. kind of stinks. Wow. <laughs> okay, so back to the game on that happy note. Uh, Dwayne Wade's out for the season with a broken elbow, but uh, Nikola Miritich is playing really well. I read that he's averaging 17 in 29, month, uh, in 29 minutes on the month, 51% shooting. You've got Butler, like you said, uh, solid and steady, former Pelican Robin Lopez, who has really gotten around since we lost him, the Blazers, the Knicks, and now the Bulls. And you've got Rajon Rondo or Rajon Rondo. Let's start with him. Should we expect to see good or bad Rondo on Sunday? Let's see here. Um, that game that you play, that you, uh, that the Pelicans play. <laughs> I wish I could um, play. Yeah, right. I like a lot They're of the... up, right, Preston? um that game is not a nationally televised game so i would assume that you get bad defense (laughs) head half in the game rondo oh man we're still having that statistic only getting up for the primetime games wow that is very much a real thing still yeah he uh and that young that's kind of that tnt bulls thing you know that that big phenomenon that was happening is you know they'd get up for the big games, but none of the other, you know, 50 to 60. And so it's mostly ugly basketball and 
I think that's the other part that's hard for the national media to see because players like Rondo do really play up to the to this you know to the situation, but what they're not doing is working on those other sixty games that aren't on you know TNT or ESPN. Yeah. Well, we'll be watching on League Pass, or I should say I'll be watching on League Pass. A lot of New Orleans watchers will be uh, on Fox Sports New Orleans, and we'll have to see for ourselves. But that's good news for us. Uh, Let's talk about another guy. Uh, I was checking up on Track. You only have one true small forward on your roster, and I doubt many listeners will even know his name, which is why I want to talk about him. Talk about 23-year-old second-year player and former second-round pick, you're starting small forward, Paul Zipser. I think he's been playing pretty well lately for you guys. Well, and I'll tell you this. He's not even a second-year player. He's a first-year. Oh, wow. He was, uh, yeah, he was, uh, he was the 2016 number 48 pick, I want to say, is what the Bulls have with that, I believe. We had we 48. Um, and, yep, so they picked him up. He's first-year from Europe, from Bayern Munich in Germany, much more famous for their soccer. But um, they produced a good basketball player, it turns out. Yeah, and he's got something like double digits in three of the last four. So he's he's a name we won't recognize, but we can expect to to come out and play pretty well against us, is what you're saying. Yeah, he um, he, and it's a smaller thing, and there's some more trained, you know, people with better trained eyes for basketball than myself. Um, like you know, have that scouting or coaching level aptitude for watching the game. Where there, there's a lot of there's a lot to unpack with him. You know, obviously he's a first year American player, um, and being that late second round pick, he wasn't expected to really get probably any minutes, much less be starting. So you know that's kind of a that's kind of a great story in itself. But what he, he does bring some attention and effort on defense, even if he's maybe not the most like athletically you know gifted guy at this point he still has plenty of room to grow in that direction um footwork is something that keeps coming up and i know a lot of some people will kind of scoff at footwork but you know he keeps active feet he doesn't get caught flat-footed um very often Um, i can i can probably count on one hand the number of times this year that i've recognized a situation where he got just straight blown by which for again for a rookie first year guy in america um, who wasn't really even supposed to play to to be able to continue to kind of like keep with his man, mostly keep his man in front of him, even if he's, you know, not that like next level defender yet. You know, that's that's very encouraging to see. And um, his shooting is all right. Um, a couple nights ago, he had um, some foul trouble, had to be pulled after two minutes. And, it you know, you kind of like hold your breath for a second because, Hoiberg has had a tendency this season. If you get pulled after two minutes and you're the starting, you know, two or three guard and like Jaron Grant just pulled one game after like two minutes in the game. He was, he was playing poorly. Yes. He got pulled and then just DNP'd for like, you know, two, three, four games. I can't remember how many games it was, but it's just like this Hoiberg pattern that if you're starting and you're a young player, yeah, it's, it's gotta be a little nerve wracking for them because you get pulled that early you might not get any gameplay for another week or more. And, you know, and that's from starting. So some stuff like that, but um, Zipser seems to be, you know, kind of coping with that well and and doing pretty, you know, pretty good job. Uh, He's got a lot of room to grow and um, I'm kind of excited for him. I don't know how good he'll 
I don't know how good he'll actually be. It's hard to kind of project his ceiling right now because, again, he's kind of already outperforming expectations. But he, you know, he is exciting. He's one of those players kind of like the uh, McCaw and Brogdon who are also second rounders this year. You know, guys who definitely were undervalued, who were at least providing, you know, a nice little wrinkle in the, you know, in the rookie class you know, outside of the top 10. Yeah, well, I can tell you that he probably should play well on Sunday. He'll have every opportunity because uh, he'll be defending Solomon Hill, who's averaging six points on the year and uh, goes up and down. Who knows? This past month, Solomon Hill had a 30-point game against the Houston Rockets, but in all likelihood, it'll probably be another one-for-five affair. And uh, Solomon Hill often gets matched up with with the better wing players, probably like the Jimmy Butlers. So he should probably have the smaller Tim Frazier on him. So he'll definitely have the opportunity to to play well on Sunday. But let's talk a little bit more. You talked a bit about his defense. Let's talk more about the Bulls defense and how do you guys plan to match up with uh, Boogie and Anthony Davis? Are you guys uh, going to start the game with Miritich at power forward? You know, that's really... It's a fun question because the answer is yes, you know, that that has to be him. Um, Where there's maybe some hesitation in my answer that you might be picking up on is that Fred Hoiberg, again, it goes back to Hoiberg, his lineups and how he's been playing guys all year has been extremely confusing. And he will randomly pull guys from the starting lineup and they'll go straight from the starting lineup to a DNP. I think that's kind of mellowed out a little bit since the trade deadline with Taj Gibson moving to the Thunder. Um, That kind of cleared up the power forward position a little bit. So it was Portis starting for a little while, and Miritich was coming off the bench and playing well. So uh, Miritich got back into that starting role. To To deal with a combination of the boogie brow, I would think that you obviously have to have Lopez in there, but you might even look at pairing him during this game with Cristiano Felicio, not as a starter. I think Miritich gets the start, but I wouldn't be surprised as the game goes on if you see uh, more Cristiano Felicio than Nikola Miritich if you have a Boogie Brow lineup on the floor. Uh, but, hey, Hoiberg, so I could be completely wrong. For all I know, they'll, they'll put Isaiah Cannon on him. Well, I was going to ask you, uh, Jimmy Butler, a three-time all-defensive NBA player, he's not going to have a lot to do on the defensive end. Right now, the Pels backcourt, Tim Frazier's been at uh, starting point guard because Drew Holiday's been turnover prone in the boogie era. So Drew's been playing a lot of off-ball, and he's been lacking in aggressiveness lately. We'll talk about his free agency questions later and... uh, one of your writers, I think it was the same one, Hunter Cuffle, wrote that uh, the Bulls should trade for Drew, Drew Holiday. So I definitely want to pick your brain in a second. But um, is there any chance, since Jimmy Butler's not going to have a lot to do defensively, that we see Jimmy paired on AD in any instances? No. No, okay. No, I don't. Yeah, I don't think so. And it's uh, not because it wouldn't be interesting or, you know, a fun matchup to watch. Because I wouldn't mind watching that. I just... I just can't recall, and this might be me doing a poor job of, you know, watching game footage, but I just can't recall many situations where Butler is switching to a, you know, to a bigger guy. Um, and I, I, I think a lot of that has to do with his workload. He, he really is carrying this team. They really don't have anything else at all. 
that's making them, you know, a good team. So since they have to rely on him so much on both ends of the floor, I, I think that if, you know, if he did slide up more often to guard a bigger players, then, you know, you're probably looking at, I, I don't know, a five win reduction in where they're at right now, at least just because, you know, he really is there pretty much everything, you know, without him, I think Tom Haverstrow of ESPN did a piece early in the year, looking at some of the advanced metrics. And um, I think he trying to isolate for Butler's impact, put the bulls at about at that point in the year, I think they had about, how was he saying? He was like, they would, they'd be like a 10 win team without a player like Butler on their squad. So, so they really lean really heavily on him. And so I think to try and avoid that defensive toll, um, the other reason I would say that too is because, like you mentioned, back to back, he's going to go. He's going to well, probably even right now he's already going against LeBron, and then he's got after that he'll have, um, you know, a night off. But then he'll have to go to Atlanta, and then right after the Atlanta game, it's New Orleans. So it's it's going to be it's going to be a lot of physicality to begin with. So putting him on uh, putting him on the brow might be. Might be a little Thibodeauian for for Fred Hoiberg. Okay, let's talk about your bench. You uh, mentioned Miritich maybe not being paired against AD as often and putting uh, Felicio in there. Now, one-way teams have been taking major advantage of the Pelicans, has been early on in the second quarter. Uh, Alvin Gentry's been trying to get as many minutes as possible with our, our quote, big three, unquote, of Drew Holiday, Anthony Davis, and Boogie. So he'll pull all three of those guys at the top of the second, every game out of the past seven games, and the Pelicans come out with Tim Frazier, Jordan Crawford. We call him Michael Jordan Crawford. It's it's pretty incredible. Uh, in 11 games, he's scored in double digits 10 times. Hadn't played a minute in three years, and look at him. He's our, our fourth or maybe even third scoring option. Then Etwan Moore, Dante Cunningham, and some mixture of either Alexis Agensa or Donatas Montiunis. Who is your go-to lineup? Do you think that Miritich slides to that second lineup and uh, tries to take advantage of our backups, or do we see some some Bobby Portis, maybe some Denzel Valentine, some Michael Carter Williams? Who do you think takes advantage of that lineup? I think what you'll see is um, Hoiberg's very formulaic with his lineups. He, like clockwork, rotates the same group of guys and. Um, at the same points in the game, every game. And where you start to see some variation from him might be like the fourth quarter where he'll start to really mix with the lineups. For a second team, what he might look at doing, I mean, my bet is you see 11 11 to 12 minutes for Robin Lopez in that first shift, even even if they're resting, you know, your two big guys. But... Um, Jimmy will play probably the full 12 unless he gets in foul trouble or, you know, picks up some sort of injury or something, but there's a really good chance that both of those guys will probably go most of the first quarter. Um, your first guys out in taking care of that second lineup or generally assuming Rondo starts generally, it's probably going to be Michael Carter Williams, um, Jaron Grant. Um, he's probably just as shocked as anybody if his number gets called at this point so it's hard to you know it's kind of hard to figure him into it but their second team lineups are pretty pretty bad and I think the other night uh all the starters Mirtich uh might have been against Milwaukee I just want to make I might have the wrong game 
But I know Miritich put up 28 points and Jimmy got to 20. And then I think, I think Lopez had 18 and Rondo had 18 and Zipser was the low scoring of the bunch with like 10. And then no one on the bench scored more than four points. Wow. So, that, so they get the win. Like our two teams are very similar. We're very top heavy. And beyond our, our four best scorers, we generally don't get a lot out of anyone else. Is that right? That sums it up. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Uh, you know, it's just like it's it's like this big experiment. So it's really kind of just this huge mess. And that's the problem, right, that we're having with the Bulls. Teams have middling seasons every once and again. You're never always going to be a contender. You're never going to always be a bottom of the league team. You're always going to be somewhere, somewhere along the scale. But I think the real, I think that's part of the real uh, frustration and and maybe some of the anxiety or tenseness that that you're that you'll probably see amongst Bulls fans and Bulls writers is that um, that this this is a big mess because there are no real upward trajectory players in the lineup other than Jimmy. And when you go to that bench, you've got, <clears throat> you mentioned Denzel Valentine. Um, I, uh, I was the one person on our staff who did, who did uh, predict that the bulls would take him. And if you kind of look back on it, it's kind of a no brainer because he was a four year college player who did well in college. So of course that's the kind of guy you know, that the Bulls seem to, you know, that like Gar and Pax, uh, John Paxson really seem to like. Um, but, I mean, it's really a downer when you draft that kind of guy and he doesn't bring anything in, but no one on that second line does, you know. Zipser moving to the front line, you know, kind of complicates things. Um, Felicio that you mentioned, and you mentioned the Dwayne Wade injury, that was a good mixed lineup that they would run against kind of like those bigger guys where you could kind of do a rim run. But the attention that Wade would command allows him to throw up lobs for Felicio. Teams are starting to figure that out. And without Wade in there, these second teams start to really struggle. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's top heavy and it's a very small top <laughs> that's, that's heavy. You know, mostly you just go Butler. And if you let Lopez stay around the rim because, the, you know, the Bulls are a very good rebounding team with him out there. He does a lot of tip out rebounds and, He's really good about fighting for offensive rebounds too, the, or the team is, I should say, um, as a whole. Yeah, they have some of those things to offer, but yeah. I mean, this is the Bulls situation. You mentioned Etwan Moore. Um, the Bulls miss him. So <laughs> put that into context. <laughs> wow, that's really incredible. Well, another thing that's very similar about our two teams is uh, that we recently went through a trade where we acquired a player and gave up some of our depth to do so, the difference is we got DeMarcus Cousins and you guys got Cameron Payne, who I think now you've uh, sent to the to the developmental league. Is that right? Uh, he's been back and forth. And actually, as of today, Thursday night, right, um, with the Bulls and Cavs actually going right now, uh, about two hours ago, I think it was Casey Johnson from the Chicago Tribune tweeted out that uh, Payne is actually inactive for tonight's game. So he's not even dressed for this game. My gosh. How how much do you guys miss, miss Todd, Todd Gibson? Is this the final year of Todd's uh, contract? Yep. Yeah. His is, <clears throat> excuse me. His is expiring at the, uh, at the end of the year uh, here. So um, do we miss him? Yes. Was he a fantastic player and like legitimately just a stand up guy? 
in terms of how he interacted with his teammates and the organization and fans? Absolutely. Um, my thing is you, you had to trade him because he's not going to be here next year and he better not be here next year, right? Because he's going to get a good contract, but the bulls really can't given, given their, you know, what they're, what they're trying to do if they're trying to build around Butler, you can't commit long-term to a guy like Taj. So I felt it was absolutely the right thing to trade him. I just would have liked to see them maybe not trade him and McDermott and a pick just to get Cameron Payne and two guys who really don't see the floor and Anthony Morrow and Joffrey Laverne, um, which, you know, it's just, you look at those kind of trades and kind of just sit back and you're like, all right. So obviously we don't like it, but, you know, you had to get something for Taj before he expired, but yeah, it's just a strange world too. I mean, think about this. The Bulls talked about, you know, the rumors that were leaking about the Bulls front office is that they wanted to get draft picks, even if it was, you know, second round stuff or late first round, they wanted to try and acquire draft picks at the trade deadline. And what do they turn around and do? They trade away two players and a draft pick and they received, you know, they didn't get any compensation in return. They didn't, you know, they didn't make a move for Jalil Okafor um, that they were rumored to do. They didn't move Nikola Miritich. They were rumored to be looking to move Lopez, you know, again, looking for picks. And there's just kind of that bulls situation as we continue to paint that picture through this discussion is this is what this front office does. Like they, they say they want draft picks and then they, instead they just give them away. Yeah. Let's go ahead and talk some more off season. Um, like I said earlier, Hunter Keffel wrote that the Bulls should trade for Drew Holiday. You guys have a lot of questions to answer going forward uh, in, in, besides Dwayne Wade's upcoming player option. Uh, some of the guys involved in the trade, like Joff Laverne, is is a free agent. Anthony Morrow is a free agent. Uh, Michael Carter-Williams, restricted. Meritich, restricted. Cristiano, restricted. Uh, you guys are in a tight spot here. What what are you going to do? And uh, with the, the lack of picks that you had coming in, you, you don't have a lot of flexibility. And if Dwayne Wade takes that option, you're not going to have a lot of cap space either. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> Sorry, there was there was no real question there. It was just an absolute. Yeah. Let's let's go to the Pelicans. The Pelicans are having their own uh, difficulties, shall we say, and uh, rumors circulating. Um, Mason Ginsburg, who actually lives in Chicago, I wanted to bring up his name. He's a Pelicans beat writer, and um, he wrote something on Twitter, basketball insiders list the the Pelicans is going through wholesale changes in the offseason, potentially getting rid of Del Demps and Alvin Gentry. Uh, uh, we don't we don't give any credence to those. Um, it's another one of those uh, splashy headlines, but their biggest decision this offseason, we don't have a lot of flexibility, is re-signing Drew Holiday. And once we do that, if we decide to do that, we have no flexibility to do anything else. We have a mid-level exception, a biannual trade exception. And then it's just, you know, what can we do with our 2018 first-round pick? Because in all likelihood, we're losing our 2017 to Sacramento. So what do you do in this situation? If you're the Pelicans' general manager, Bleacher Report has Drew Holiday as the best defensive point guard, which didn't help us in negotiating this summer at all. He hasn't meshed well with Boogie and AD. He's been awful ever since Boogie came to New Orleans. He's been moved to shooting guard now. He's been turning the ball over so frequently. Basically, it's it's just not working. However, we know his potential. He was almost at an all-star level before the trade took place. So what what the hell would you do <laughs> with Drew Holiday? 
Oh boy. Well, there's <laughs> there's a couple of things you could look at doing, right? Um, but none of them are good because I don't know how. Like looking at the bolts too, right? I looked at some of their stuff and I looked at some of their options and the best thing that seems to be out there for them that they could actually have a chance at working with would be like going after George Hill. But if you don't have the money for George Hill, and I don't think the Pelicans would either, just like Chicago wouldn't, um, you know, or Chicago might, depending on what happens with, you know, Rondo and Wade. But you kind of look at those guys and you're trying to figure out if you don't have the money, it's almost like you don't have another option than to re-up on your player and, and then see from there if there is a trade market for him the following year. So you're almost eating like half a year of him, even if you don't want him on your team, just so that you can retain some trade value so you don't lose him for anything. Um, alternatively, if we lived in a world where, you know, Adrian Wojnarowski didn't have, you know, ears in every corner of every room in the NBA, I would I would probably look immediately at seeing, you know, what kind of market might be out there for Cousins. You know, I I, I personally, um, going out of role and not pretending I'm a GM of anybody, just as me at XVanWilderX on Twitter, you can at me about this. Um, DeMarcus Cousins is one of my five favorite players. I love DeMarcus Cousins, but I understand that he is such a strong personality and is sometimes just unstable. I don't know how else to put it, you know, and if you could get away with discussing trading him without everyone in the world knowing it, I would immediately start that when the season's over just to kind of feel it out and see, see if you can't turn that into something, you know, in the draft, because like I said, if you have to, you have to pick your poison, I guess you either have to go without a guy like holiday that you can't replace on the, you know, on the free agent market or else you have to uh, you have to look at moving you know one of your two front court guys and I mean talk about a ridiculously good front court I mean they're just it, New Orleans has got something fun you know from from an, from a casual observer's perspective and that that would be the hard decision to make like if you can do you, do you hold on to Cousins see what happens or do you you know take that hit that you're going to take if you let holiday go. I mean, the risk, uh, it's, it's the more we talk, the, the more, um, the more apparent it becomes how similar the situations are that the Bulls and the Pelicans are facing. On one hand, uh, you'd like to trade DeMarcus Cousins because his value, I feel like has escalated since he left Sacramento because by pairing him with somebody like Anthony Davis, You've seen some of that complaining to the referees go down a little bit by playing the second fiddle. He hasn't been as outlandish, not as many technicals. He's been saying the right things. You see him in good spirits, clowning around before a tip-off, joking around with these guys. Uh, He's been sort of the good soldier, on paper at least. So you think um, the Lakers were rumored to be interested in in him at the end. And whether the the Bus Brothers or Kupchak lost their jobs because they were going after him or lost their jobs because they didn't pull the trigger and trade for him. Uh, I think uh, Sacramento was rumored to ask for D'Angelo Russell and Brandon Ingram in return, and and they didn't go with that trade. Whatever whatever might have happened, if the Pelicans had the opportunity in the offseason to do that, 
you still can't because you can't do that to Anthony Davis. We've got this cloud hanging over our heads that says if we don't do the exact right thing and give him everything that he needs, he really wants to play with a center. So we we gave uh, $55 million to Omer Ashik, which is now just a, a black hole of dead money. We gave 20 minutes to Alexis Agensa that we can't – We I mean, we're rumored to give away a first-round pick to get rid of our third-string center at this point. It's really dreadful. So – we don't have a lot of options without upsetting our superstar, but yeah, if we could get a top five pick, that's something we definitely explore. But then you'd want to trade Drew Holiday as well after you sign him. Anyway, so many questions to answer. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's going to be no shortage of things for you to write. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, Brian Boogie to New Orleans has done wonders for our site traffic. I'm sure you understand. Uh, how nice it's been to to have him in the Big Easy. And also, he's just been a lot of fun after the victory against the Grizzlies where he went off for like 41 points. Uh, during the presser, he thanked the officials, which was uh, really, he's just a really fun guy and a fun interview to to talk to. Not that I've had the privilege, but um, just an interesting fella because we're we're filled with a team of, Solomon Hills and Drew Holidays and Anthony Davis, who all say the right things, but you know they're just they're mild mannered, soft spoken guys. So it's 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 fun to have a guy uh, up on the on the press conference table mixing things up. But let me let me ask you one more thing. Thank you so much again for your time. In a world where the Pelicans win the third pick of the draft from the Sacramento Kings, we get to keep our top three protected pick. I know you know where I'm going with this. We solve all of our problems. We bring back Drew Holiday. We keep Boogie. We re-sign him just as soon as you guys give us Jimmy Butler in exchange for the third pick. Do you do it? No. No? Okay. <laughs> no, there's there's way too much out there for them. Uh, the thing about trading Jimmy Butler, as much as uh, I understand how that would be like an amazing world from, you know, for the Pelicans. Um, the, the thing that makes Jimmy Butler tradable is not that there's a pick to be gotten. It's that if, if Gar Foreman is not selling the team out, there is a big get to be had. And part of, part of the possibility of a Butler trade working is going to be dependent on how the Celtics perform. Um, I think if the Celtics perform well in the playoffs and, you know, either pull an upset to get to the finals, which I don't think they have a chance of personally at this point, doesn't make any sense to doubt LeBron. Um, But if they could do something like that, then maybe they're like, yeah, we're fine. But my feeling is they make the second round, but they might struggle there. And I would think that they lose to the Cavaliers. And I think that that's, you know, it, they're in a unique position. And this matters for the Butler thing, even though I know it's the Celtics, neither the Bulls or the Pelicans. This matters because the finals would be a massive overachievement. But if they make the conference finals and then get run by the Cavs, in if that matchup happens, then I think a lot more eyes are starting are going to start to turn toward Danny Ainge and say, well, you didn't get Paul George. You didn't get Jimmy Butler. You got us a draft pick and that's not going to help. You know, that's not going to help the Celtics while Isaiah Thomas and Al Horford and Jay Crowder, you know, are together and are able to perform at a high level. Like it's just not going to do it. So if, the Celtics don't overachieve 
anything short of an overachievement could put pressure on Ainge and be seen as an underachievement. There's no middle ground, you know, in terms of if they had Jimmy Butler right now, that's a really scary team. You know, if they had Paul George right now, that team's going to be a lot to deal with. So, so that's what makes uh, Butler tradable is there's a team that could really benefit from having him that could be a real contender, could really push. And that team also happens to have Jalen Brown. That team also has to have uh, Rozier. That team also happens to have um, two upcoming first-round picks from the Brooklyn Nets, you know, both this year and next year. So, so Butler really, if, if Gar Foreman isn't getting, you know, the short end of the stick and isn't letting himself get fleeced, He's going to be looking at um, the first, you know, that first pick this year that's the Nets that's going to go to, to Boston. And that's why there's a possibility of like a Jimmy trade making sense there is because they can trade a pick. They can trade Jalen Brown. They can trade Jay Crowder if they want. And if the Bulls would take him, which I would just hope they didn't, you know, that they insisted on Jalen Brown instead. And, you know, they can look at getting another player like an Avery Bradley or getting a, you know, Marcus Smart who you know, might not be that franchise player, but he could work for a couple of years while you develop whoever you draft this summer, you know, so you can get a package that isn't just the pick. And I think that's where, whether it's the Pelicans or, um, you know, something like, yeah, basically anybody, I mean, the Lakers, if they wanted to, they could, you know, have a package of say, I don't know, Julius Randle. I'm just, throwing names out there. You could say Julius Randle, their number two overall pick, and like maybe Jordan Clarkson and, and or D'Angelo Russell, right? Do something like that. And then move those players in exchange for a Jimmy Butler. And I you know, I don't think the Lakers would do that, right? But that's the kind of thing that you'd be asking for for Butler is one of those top three picks, but then also at least one young player and then one maybe mid-level more established player. But, you know, it doesn't have to be like an all-star or anything, but like a guy who is an established contributor who can work in like a starting rotation. And because that'd be the asking price for a guy like Butler, I just think it prices out the market for a team like the Pelicans, even though Boogie and Holiday and Anthony Davis and Jimmy Butler, you know, that team would be so much fun to watch. Yeah, I almost look at it from the other angle than you. I think if the Celtics get to the finals, they I would have to believe that they lose if Kevin Durant's healthy or against the Spurs. And that might be a better scenario for them to want to trade for Jimmy Butler, because if they're not ultimately close, they have seven first round picks in the next three years, and they're going to have to max out Isaiah Thomas. They're going to have to pay Marcus Smart. They're going to have to pay Avery Bradley. Jay Crowder's only got a year and a half or two years left on his deal. Jalen Brown in the next three years, well, they are not going to have enough money to pay all of these players. So on one hand, you could say they could pay uh, trade a couple of them to Chicago, but Chicago's not going to want to pay all these guys either, and they're not going to want to part with a, a potential top three pick future all-star uh, just to bring on more salary. I don't know. I think the Pelicans in that situation are are your your best bet because they are desperate to give up potentially a top three pick and the 2018 first round pick and whatever else you guys might ask for. Uh, and the Lakers are, are another interesting one because they uh, probably want some star quality out there after uh, 
years of losing, but I don't know. I, I just don't see Danny Ainge ever pulling that trigger on Paul George or Jimmy Butler and, and giving the. You're not alone. Yeah. Yeah, you're not alone. I agree with you there. I don't. I don't see it getting done. Danny Ainge doesn't do deals unless he wins. And as much as I think Gar Foreman has been, well, too, don't want to sound too harsh, but it, the, sometimes the truth hurts. He's completely incompetent and a poor general manager. I still don't see him, you know, losing on a Butler trade either. So. I do think they're at an impasse, and yeah, it would be very interesting. Like I said, a Pelicans team, uh, if you re-up on your guys and then bring in Butler, that would be a lot of fun. That would be awesome. Daniel, thank you so much, man. This was really, really a lot of fun. Uh, I'd love to have you back in the offseason if you'd like to to talk some some moves and some potential draft ideas. Uh, by the way, you guys, you've been listening to Daniel Coughlin. This is the site editor and expert of PippinAintEasy.com. They've been killing it lately. Go ahead and check them out on Twitter, at BullsBeatBlog, and you can follow Daniel at XVanWilderX. Daniel, thank you so much for the time. This was awesome, man. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. I do like the Pelicans, even though I'm obviously not an expert on the topic, and it's a lot of fun to talk about AD, especially since, you know, he's going to be coming to the Bulls in a couple of years anyway. Oh, and Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. Oh, good grief. Thank you again, Daniel. And thank you all for spending an hour with us. Now, since you've made it this far, we'd really appreciate just a little bit more of your help in getting our podcast some more attention. And you can do so by going to iTunes and giving this episode a five-star rating. We'd really appreciate it. Now, don't go anywhere, Pels fans, because we've got Rick Stone on the way. But for now, let's go, Pels. Pels.